Welcome to the PlayLab podcast. This is a place where we share what we are learning from our research. Today we're zooming in because of the COVID context and bringing together a rich group of people to discuss and dive deep into an evidence-based model, which we call a conceptual play world for the intentional teaching of STEM. It's designed for the early years, so that's in home settings, in preschools and school settings. I'm Marilyn Flair, and in this episode, we're going to go back to where it all started and bring you all the way forward to the present and where we are today. We have our team with us today to speak about a, um, the interactions and experiences of a conceptual play world, and you'll be get to, he- to hear a lot about aspects of their work through the, this podcast series. So we're pretty excited to be sharing what we're doing today with you as a little bit of an overview to get you all motivated and excited to follow us. And we're going to dive deeper over time. But let's, let's see first who's here with us today. So let's hear from everyone. Hello, everybody. Uh, I am Prabhat, and I work as a senior research fellow at the Conceptual Play Lab, and I largely work with families in developing conceptual play world models. Hi, everyone. My name is Rebecca Lewis, and I'm part of the Play Lab team. Um, And the focus of my PhD and my work is with educators and their professional development. Hi, everyone. I'm Tanya Stevenson, and I've been part of the Conceptual Play Lab for over two years now. My research focuses on teacher professional development and increasing girls' engagement with STEM. It's really nice to be here today. Um, Marilyn, I was just thinking it would be really nice for everyone to hear how all of this began. Oh, Tanya, that's such a great question. And um, I, I, it began in such a really beautiful way. I was actually flying to Denmark to, to go to a conference. And, um, and when I landed and got settled in the hotel, there was this phone call at about one o'clock in the morning. And, um, and it, was a, it was a phone call from the Australian Research Council. And they uh, said, oh, we're just letting you know you've won this um, big award, a laureate fellowship and funding to take forward the research you've been doing over the years. So, And my research has been around um, the area of STEM, so science, technology, engineering, mathematics and play, but particularly um, really um, had, have had this sense sense of how do you solve this problem that we've had in Australia. Um, and so part of the research and where it all began was very much about trying to work out how do you bring the concepts, STEM concepts, into children's play through intentional teaching. And internationally, um, there has been this real challenge for us because um, play is, the, is so important for young children and early childhood educators have traditionally done some amazing work in bringing play and learning together. But with the worry internationally of um, a push-down curriculum or sometimes called schoolification of early childhood, um, we've, we've started to worry about, about how do you maintain play? and But at the same time, how do you bring STEM concepts into children's play so that it's really meaningful for children and it's exciting for educators? And um, so this has been the real big challenge. And the, the work that I've done and when I got this phone call and said, you know, you've won this money, I thought, oh, we can take this forward and we can really um, explore this problem together with educators in Australia. So, so that's where it all began. And, um, and I guess what 
um, has come from this beautiful um, grant that we received from the Australian Research Council is that we've been able to take this problem forward and we've developed our um, play lab, our conceptual play lab and our team here you'll be hearing a little bit more from. But one of the things that um, we came up with that feeds into our conceptual play lab is this wonderful model, which I think is a wonderful model, and, and the educators tell me it's wonderful as well, um, a wonderful model called Conceptual Play World. And, um, um, and the Conceptual Play World, you're probably wondering, what is that? What can this, what is this? Rebecca, you've actually been running professional development with the educators and you tell them all about this. Can you tell us a little bit about it today? Yes, and I was just reflecting when you were um, describing that problem in the introduction that was such a personal problem that I experienced over my 15 years of teaching in the, in the kindergarten classroom. Um, but in terms of the work at the Conceptual Play Lab, so we provide educators with a model and it supports them to plan and implement the play world. But um, we try to describe that a conceptual play world is different from more traditional play-based approaches because what's really key is that the educator enters the imaginary play situation, which is kind of just a fancy way of saying we play with the children. Um, so we play familiar stories and we support the children to solve problems that are introduced in the play. So... Um, the problems that we introduce create opportunities for children to develop lots of things. So their social emotional skills because we're developing empathy with the characters, but also um, STEM knowledge and things like design thinking and their creative and critical thinking. Um, yeah, so lots, lots, lots of opportunities are created through this conceptual play world model. Um, but I think the the most important thing is that it brings concepts into the play, which is really new for educators, and that children can develop their, their imagination. So it's important to remember that this is a really fun way of teaching and learning. Oh, wow, Rebecca. That's um, fantastic because, um, you know, that it's a whole new place for educators to, to go forward and to, um, um, to be in character and go on these adventures. But do, do the educators find it hard to bring the concepts into the play? Well, I guess the benefit of the model is that it helps educators who have been unsure about how to do this. So we know that it's really important to intentionally teach um, STEM in play-based programs, but the model provides, it steps out the five characteristics and it gives a, a planning structure so that educators can feel confident to teach the STEM to children. And then the STEM is embedded in the play um, and having, having educators enter the play, so pretending to be characters from the story and interact with the children in character, it's, it's a really new and exciting way of teaching, but it does require professional development. So I think the professional development offers um, important opportunities for the educators who are looking to develop their practice, but it's, it's based on sound theory of child development and now an evidence-based model. Wow. And, um, and it's certainly um, 
It's certainly a credit model, isn't it? Because educators um, are really fantastic at designing programs that um, are play-based and they're really amazing observers of children. And, um, and, and in this context, to then explore STEM and how to bring it in through a story and having a planning model for the professional development sounds great. Um, and their role, you know, is so different um, to be a character playing with the children, but also having these rich um, STEM conversations. I bet it's really exciting for the educators. Yeah, we have had a lot of positive feedback and the overwhelming feedback is just that it's fun. Um, and I think it's quite different because teachers have the opportunity to plan ahead. So it's a little bit different from a spontaneous um, ad hoc, sort of those teachable moments because educators have the opportunity to to prepare, they can feel really confident about the, the STEM that they will be exploring with the children because they have the chance to, to plan that in advance. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, so I was just thinking that, um, it, you know, this is what it looks like in um, early childhood settings. I wonder what it's like for families and um, whether the role of the educator is of the family members is different. You know, how, how is it different, Prabhat, to in the research that you've been doing? Because you're also using the, the model of conceptual play worlds, but you're doing it with families. So how is it different? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting uh, now question because there is still a legitimacy to adults' role in children's play in early learning centres. But uh, when we talk with uh, families, you know, they see that their children's play in the home setting is largely free play or they are playing with siblings. So uh, the role of the adult generally is uh, not something which uh, they think very carefully about. So one of the things we do uh, when we are talking with parents is to make them aware of their role in children's play. And I think uh, that there are a uh, number of ways in which uh, we try to engage with them, trying to understand their situation first. But uh, there are two central things there which we often uh, discuss with them. I think one is that uh, adults have an important role in creating, <coughs> sustaining, and amplifying children's imaginary situation. Uh, we know from your uh, previous research and also the research which is coming uh, you know, across the world that uh, that adults and parents, especially in the home setting, that they can lead play and create more uh, challenging forms of play for children, which they otherwise can't do on their own. Uh, but that's one part of it, that adults can create new characters, new roles, uh, create new challenges for children. But the second part, which is equally important, uh, is uh, the engagement and the emotional involvement of adults in children's play. So they are not just leading play, but they are also a character within children's imaginary situation. And I think that's something which uh, really, you know, uh, becomes very interesting once parents start uh, understanding this idea and start implementing it in the home setting. Wow. I, I just think it's amazing. And, and particularly when I, when I think about, you know, how um, as a society we, um, we, um, we think that it's really important Family's role in children's education is so central and so important, and uh, and here I'm hearing how the conceptual play worlds can can really create new conditions in the family home, um, and and support support um, parents. What what's the research telling us um, so far, Prabhat, in relation to 
um, the STEM? You know, it, is, is it making a difference? Are the families having STEM conversations now? Yeah. Uh, in fact, a uh, number of times uh, we, we are told that uh, parents come back to us and say that uh, they never imagined they would, be ta- they would be knowing so much. So they go back and uh, reflect on their own science experiences. That's one part. But then they also carefully think of how they can introduce science in their everyday home activities. So uh, a mother a few days back, you know, in one of our uh, parent forums was talking about how she was really very proud when she found that her child is learning number of things which they are doing in the play world. And when they went to the park and started talking about those ideas in in that setting or what they are doing otherwise in the play world is coming uh, on their dinner table conversations. So there's this interesting uh, discussion that goes beyond just the play world. So it is is basically uh, extending the discourse into their everyday home practices. Mm. I, I wish when I was growing up that my parents had participated in a conceptual play world. <laughs> I, would have, I would have just loved to. I mean, I've always loved science. And I've always loved technology, but it would have been amazing for my family to have taken it a step further. So, so it's really exciting to hear this and see how, where true. it's all going. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was thinking also that, um, that one of the things that, we, we tend to worry about too is um, when we look at the professions, um, STEM professions, and, and we know STEM professions are, are um, you know, very well paid, but, but one of the worries that governments have and um, worries that um, as citizens that we have is that we're not getting enough girls involved in STEM. And um, I, was, I was wondering, Tanya, you've been working in, in this space and um, are you able to tell us about what conceptual play worlds means for girls? Is it making any difference, do you, do you feel, in the research you're taking forward? Yeah, so looking at the positive impact that this has had for girls has actually been really exciting for us. Um, traditionally, we've found that girls seem to miss out on STEM experiences, and, and this happens for various you know, reasons, like uh, the belief that girls might be more typically more interested in playing dress-ups, while boys might be more interested in, in activities like um, construction and building blocks. And so as they progress through their education, this gap between girls and boys' engagement and interest in STEM, it continues continues to widen. Um, So we found that when the girls are outside the conceptual play worlds, um, they sort of stayed on the sidelines and they took on supporting roles to the boys. uh, And it was the boys who were taking on these leading roles in STEM experiences. So for example, in in block play, the girls who were really interested they tried to involve themselves by maybe just passing blocks to the boys who did the actual building of whatever it was that they were trying to construct. Um, But then we found that the girls seemed to get pushed out and this made them disengage with the STEM experiences. But excitingly for us, um, through conceptual play worlds, the girls have this purpose to engage in STEM experiences because they're really connected to the story and they've built this empathy with the characters and they want to help solve these STEM-related problems to try and help the characters. And also the teachers have an active role in the imaginary situation as story characters themselves. And this brings them really um, close to the children's play and they become a lot more aware of these dynamics So they're able to then reposition the girls 
to take on these leading roles in the play. So things like making the girls um, head engineers. And so this also opens up girls' um, access to the resources that they might not typically have much opportunity to engage with. So the girls really get to have a go and they were really engaged with the STEM experiences. So we found that this active role played by the teachers in conceptual play worlds, it really makes a very significant difference for the girls. Wow. So girls are coming out of the Conceptual Play World program um, feeling as though STEM is for them, something that they, you know, is, is just a part of their everyday life and, um, and, and maybe imagining themselves as head engineers in the future. Absolutely. <laughs> Which is what we want. We want to. We want to have fifty percent of the population in uh, in in the professions to be women. So uh, um, beginning early seems to matter. And um, and and what I'm hearing, and what we're hearing together here is that conceptual play worlds can can make a difference um, to that. But I wonder how far back we can go. I mean, the engineers talk about the leaky pipeline, and so where does the pipeline begin, um, Prabha? Do you do you have a um, in the work that you're doing? Doing um, is there is there some things that you can tell us about in terms of infants and toddlers? Because it's obviously an area um, that STEM begins for them then <laughs> at that time. Yeah, uh, I think what uh, one of the you know interesting bits there is that uh, we, we don't think uh, infants and toddlers as uh, conceptual thinkers, uh, and the enormous research uh, which is already there, and also the the one which we are leading you know in the conceptual play lab, uh, shows us that children start engaging uh, very early and start making sense of these uh, science wanderings and science explorations from the very early years. So uh, indeed, uh, you know, it is, it is uh, that as, as early we can start, it would be as good uh, for, for girls' engagement in STEM. And I guess when, when you start really early, then um, there, there, isn't, um, there isn't a space in which it become, can, can be so gendered, if you like. It's, um, it's open for everyone. And if, um, if the educators um, in the centres who are working with infants and toddlers um, are in the play, as Tanya was saying, then they can notice, notice things to, to support the girls to, uh, to be as active as the boys. And, uh, and, and I guess that would change, change the space, you know, how, how the spaces in the centre too for how they're used. So the, the block areas... Um, and particularly for infants and toddlers, because they have huge, huge blocks as opposed to the hard wooden ones. Um, and um, so the, the spaces there become spaces for everyone, which I think is pretty exciting. Yeah, in fact, that's really true for the family home settings as well, because uh, parents often come back and tell us that, you know, uh, the way in which the children take these new roles, especially girls, you know, feel more confident about these science wanderings and science explorations. Uh, which they otherwise are not thinking very carefully about because the larger media and the larger discourse you hear around is, is very gendered. So uh, in, in lot many ways, conceptual play world creates a new kind of motivating conditions for girls also in their home settings, which, which you know, can, be, can be, you know, very good in terms of their school participation later uh, in, in science disciplines as well. Yeah, and what I really love about that is that it means from day one, <laughs> when they're born, <laughs> that um, that girls and boys participate and have access to STEM conversations in the home. Um, they have access to the resources, um, STEM resources in the childcare centres and kindergartens and any other uh, institution that they might attend. 
And, and that then means that um, girls and boys equally have the possibility to, um, um, to think and act and develop competence in STEM so that you don't see this dis- divergence later on where, where, where people say, oh, you know, the girl's just not so good at this part, you know, they haven't got the technical mind, you know, those kind of stereotypes that we, we often hear. Um, but, you know, if you look back and they haven't had the opportunity, you know, <laughs> of course it's going to create different um, experiences and competences for them. So this is pretty exciting to see that this is going forward. I, I don't know, Turner, did you want to add anything to that? Because, you know, in your PhD studies, um, you, you would have learned some some interesting things about the, the centres and what you notice the girls can do. Yes, absolutely. I was just thinking about what you were saying um, in terms of having those opportunities early on. And it was very fascinating to see that, um, you know, engaging with the conceptual play roles, it was fun to look at um, how the girls were really so engaged in the experiences. And this um, really changed the way the teachers were thinking about the girls as well. And you could hear the surprise initially in the teachers, um, you know, thoughts about, oh, I, I, you know, the girls are actually more excited than some of the boys. And it, it, it sound quite surprising and that, that changed how the teachers were um, even thinking about setting up their own um, centers so things like adding another center adding another corner in the classroom like a NASA center which is um, different from a home corner or a block corner that might have these stereotypical um, beliefs attached to them but having these NASA centers and um, these adventure corners that were really just open to boys and girls and you'd find boys and girls equally really engaged in in there and the teachers seem to really enjoy that and say you know if they were all collaborating together and they were all coming up with these ideas together so it's very exciting I, I think it's amazing to think that conceptual play worlds can can change how families interact and change how educators interact and believe you know and the beliefs they have about what children can and can't do and, and I guess it comes back to what you were saying Prabhat about how we don't always think about um, how amazing infant and toddlers are with their thinking. Um, I don't, don't know if you want to add a little bit more about their capabilities um, as, as learners of STEM. Um, uh, I think uh, our, our research shows that as early as, uh, you know, in, in the age, age period of infancy and uh, toddlerhood, children start making inferences of you know, simple things like vibrations or sounds or light uh, for that matter. And uh, uh, you know, theoretically, we can surely relate and say that uh, one of the central things which human beings basically are different uh, from other beings is that we are inferential in our approaches. And we see that these inferences are not something that comes later. But these inferences are there with us from our infancy and you know early stages of life. So uh, we do see you know children engaging and also inferring uh, from these experiences in the conceptual play world. Uh, the beauty is also you know, and as Tanya was explaining, I was just wondering that because imagination is something which is very central and core to the conceptual play world, and that's the limit. So uh, you create these collective imaginary situations where infants have possibility to participate in with other children, but also with an adult who is guiding and steering the way all through. And, and that's, that's the beauty of the conceptual play world, uh, where you have this ideal form and the real form constantly coming together and creating these new possibilities of concept learning for children. 
Yeah, and it's really interesting when you start to look at um, some of the literature or research that's been done internationally. There's an amazing person called Ellie Singer in the Netherlands, and she was really interested in childcare centres and the, the way in which infants actually imagine, infants and toddlers imagine collectively and, and play collectively because the tradition has been to think that they don't, you know, that they're, they're so young, they're just responding to the environment. They're not inferring, like you were saying, um, and, and, um, and imagining and playing together. And, and what her research showed, which I found really fascinating, was that actually educators, when they're not closely, first of all, don't believe that they're collectively playing because they think infants can't engage in this kind of imaginary play. But secondly, um, um, that that the when they're not in close to what they're doing and observing, they're more focused on routines, she found, you know, changing nappies and um, organising the, the meals and things for them. When, when they're more oriented to that, they missed these beautiful play moments that infants were having with each other, you know, projecting out to each other and smiling and and uh, pointing and all these these gestures and, and maybe some little sort of noises and things. And what she found was that because the educators weren't so in tune with this and didn't think that they could collectively imagine or engage in imaginary play, um, that they kept interrupting their play. You know, they'd, they'd pick up a child who was in the middle of an exciting play moment with another child and go and, you know, put them in the high chair and feed them rather than actually sensitively entering into their play and making the play, taking the play and the children together over to the high chairs, you know, like which you can do when you're so in touch with, um, with the play of infants and toddlers. Um, so, so, you know, we can learn a lot um, when, and as, as everyone's been saying today, we can learn an awful lot when we have this view of, of how amazingly capable children are and that they can actually think and act uh, with concepts and that educators and families can have these rich and deep conversations that traditionally people have said, oh, no, infants and toddlers can't do that or preschoolers, you know, they wouldn't talk about concepts of physics, um, but of course they do and it all begins early and we have a, a really important responsibility um, in taking this forward. So, so this, I guess, in many respects, we've learned a lot today and we can ask some questions um, of ourselves and, and people listening today um, to this podcast around around, you know, what does this all mean for girls? Um, what does it all mean for policy? What impact can we have and what evidence have, have we, do we have to take forward? Um, and how, how can what we're learning about infants and toddlers and preschoolers engaged in um, thinking about STEM, thinking about science, technology, engineering, mathematics at home and in their centres and out in the community, you know, how, how can we take that forward? And um, so the pod, this podcast series, we hope, will um, ask tricky questions, um, answer them potentially, but but mostly to inspire everybody to to really look at how how we have in this space totally underestimated what we can do, and in the home and in centres. And the more research that we do as a play lab, and we share with you as a community, the more we can do for our children to take them forward. And we won't have any leaky pipeline. We actually won't even have a pipeline. We'll just have everybody engaged in STEM and have these beautiful, rich STEM conversations, which have a really wonderful 
um, explanatory power um, for explaining our world. And that's what we really want to do. And we charge everybody to take that forward. So thanks, everyone, for listening today. And thanks to our amazing um, uh, Play Lab um, researchers who've come along today to share with us what they've been finding. And we look forward to um, deepening and going further in these conversations to say, what does it matter for policy? What does it matter for practice? And what does it matter for you in the community with your children in whatever way you are um, working with them? Thanks, everyone. Thanks.